we're thankful for another opportunity to get to look into the Word of God. Um, hope everyone is doing well, and we certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen to us again. And we're finished the Passover last time and would like to look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread this time. And in the beginning of this study, I think we mentioned that these four feasts, the Feast of the Passover, Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, all four of these are connected. And um, Unleavened Bread, connected with the Passover, and they're talked about as two separate things, but all of this is going on at the same time. And so the 14th day, if you remember, on the 14th day of this month, the Passover was to be slain. That was the day that the Lord Jesus was slain. And he was to be slain in the evening. So this Passover lamb, sometime between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock, remembering that the day changed from the 14th to the 15th at 6 p.m., so that before 6 p.m. on the 14th, the lamb was slain, and this meal was eaten, and the Passover was directed to be eaten with unleavened bread. Well, as the first meal here on the 15th after 6, the Passover meal was the first meal. That was to be eaten with unleavened bread. Well, that was the beginning. The 15th was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So to look at this, we're going to be in Exodus 12 again. And I'm going to read a few verses together here, beginning in verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leaven bread from the first day until the seventh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. <clears throat> Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread, until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened, in all your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. So, this unleavened bread, beginning with the meal of the Passover, and for seven days until the 21st, there was to be no leaven in the houses, and there was to be no leaven eaten. And they would purge the leaven out of their house in preparation for this. Because if by mistake you were to get leaven in your bread and eat of that, you were to be cut off from Israel. So they would, and remember, 
when we looked at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, they called it the preparation day of the Passover, the 14th, the day that Jesus was killed. So that preparation day of the Passover wasn't just a day that the lamb was killed, but they were also removing all leaven from their households and casting it out for this feast of unleavened bread. And beginning with the Passover onward, the leaven was cast out. So a cleansing here was taking place that the leaven of Egypt would be cleansed from their households. This was going to be a work of God brought on by the Passover and a time of cleansing, of separation, of, and here's the word, I believe, a time of sanctification for those that God was going to bring out of Egypt. A time that they were going to be separated. And I believe that's the picture that we have here in this feast. A time of sanctification. So in Matthew chapter 16, let's look just for a second at leaven in the New Testament. And it's used as a type and a shadow and a picture. In Matthew 16, verse number 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And again in verse 12, Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Doctrine, that word means instruction or teachings. So when he says beware the leaven of the Pharisees, he's warning them of their doctrine and their teaching. Don't buy into that. But what should we pay attention to? The pure and true doctrine of the Son of God. So all that they had done in Egypt, that leaven, they were to cleanse and purge that out of their life, that they would be sanctified, holy, and set apart for the kingdom of God. And remember, this is all tied to that Passover. If there was no Passover, there would be no separation. So to the New Testament church, the, the Passover lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ, the deliverance from the kingdom of the devil and from his bondage, the bringing into the kingdom of the Son of God, there's a sanctification that goes on in the lives of the believers. And you know, uh, we've talked about this before, uh, especially in our study of God's method of salvation. But there's a sanctification in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And He has sanctified forever them that are His. So in salvation, that soul of man is forever sanctified in Jesus Christ. But we're left here on the earth. Jesus said, I don't pray that you take them from the earth, but that you keep them from the evil. So we're left here on the earth, a saved and born again and sanctified vessel in the inward man towards God. John 
said in 1 John chapter 3, that which is born of God sinneth not. Now that don't apply to the flesh of man, but that inward man is perfected and sanctified forever. But this outward man, there's a continual strife and warfare of the man that God saved with the earthly Adam man on the outside. And, you know, what the desire and will of God is, is that our outward man be sanctified, that our lives could be beneficial to them round about us. And so Jesus says, don't eat of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of that. Because in 1 Corinthians... Chapter number 5. We've got another picture of this. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. Now here's a picture of the feast of unleavened bread at the time of the Passover. Let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the believers that are saved, and you know, you've got the work of God, and God leaves us a battle to fight through the stirring and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. We are to purge out the old leaven of the old man back when we were in Egypt and under the bondage of Pharaoh, and we eat the food that the Egyptians eat, and we lived the way the Egyptians lived. Well, now God's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His Son. And He says, Purge out the old leaven. Sanctify your life. Cleanse out the old man, the old manner of life, the old way of doing business, and live in the New Testament, the new life, the new salvation of Jesus Christ, with unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. Because know this, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So we see the picture. You put in, if you've got a lump of dough that's a five-gallon bucket full, you sprinkle just a little packet of yeast in there, and that yeast will take over that whole lump of dough. We'll know this that if there's a little leaven left in our life from Egypt, that to the world and to our family that's lost and undone, they're going to look at that and they're going to consider the whole lump leaven. That's what the devil wants to focus the world's attention on is the failure and shortcoming of the church. So what are we left to do? By the grace of God within us, purge out the old leaven in Second Timothy chapter number 2. And again, this is not for salvation. If God had not delivered them from Egypt, then this feast of unleavened bread would have meant nothing. They would have still been in Egypt.
But because God brought them out, God wanted to sanctify them in their life. Well, God, who's delivered the sinner from sin, <coughs> He's sanctifying their outward life also, that they wouldn't live like the Egyptians, but that they would be His people through the working of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. So here, another picture of purging and cleansing the outward life that we might be vessels of honor to the Lord that saved us. And let's, let's look one more time in Ephesians chapter number 4. Verse number 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth from this point forward walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So how are Gentiles walking? That word vanity there, it's moral depravity. Now the Gentiles, them that are lost and undone, they do not know God they do not have the indwelling spirit. They do not know what honestly, what's right and what's wrong by the word of God. Now people that are saved, they ought not walk like Gentiles. That's mind is morally depraved. And that's what he's saying here. You're saved. You've been delivered. You've been born again and God's powers within you the church and them that are redeemed ought not walk like other Gentiles walk with a morally depraved mind and intellect. Why do they walk like that? Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. In Corinthians we see if our gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world's blinded them. Well, that's what we're seeing here. A people that are morally depraved in their thinking and in their intellect and in the way that they walk because of the blindness and the darkness of Satan that has covered their eyes. Now, we need not be surprised that the Egyptians are living and eating the leaven of Egypt but should those that have been delivered from Egypt live like the Egyptians? That's what Paul's saying here. The Gentiles walk that way because they're ignorant, not stupid, but ignorant. They're not aware. They're blinded by the devil. The devil has got their mind captivated in darkness and in deceitfulness, and they legitimately do not know the will of God. 
because of the work of the devil. Now, should people that are saved walk in a manner that these morally depraved and blind Gentiles walk? I think not. He goes a little farther. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So that the unbridled lust, there's no bridle to stop them from their sin. And the reason is because the depraved mind and the blinded heart and Satan having full control and authority over them. Now should people that are saved delivered from Satan's bondage, delivered from the darkness of the devil, delivered from the ignorance of God and of God's word and will, should those people walk the way these Gentiles walk? There's, there's no way that that can happen. He says in verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ. If... Now here's the question. It's not whether I'm living or not that determines whether I'm saved. But if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So the question is whether I've ever heard him or not. Have I ever truly been born again or not. See, the truth is, the majority of people, they're walking as other Gentiles walk, not because they backslid and fell out of the way, but people walk like that because they are one of the Gentiles. They've never been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And they're still under the direction and control of Pharaoh. But to them that have been delivered, this is what he says that you put off concerning the former conversation. That word means manner of life or behavior. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So here's a purging. The old man, the old way of living, my old behavior, the way that I acted, when I was under the power and authority of the devil, the way that I conducted myself, the way that I talked, the way that I attended church, the way that I loved the brethren, the way that I done everything in my life, it was influenced because the devil had power and authority over me and because I was blind and ignorant to what God desired of me. That old man's to be put aside. Paul says, nailing him to the cross. The old man is to be mortified. He's to be killed. He's to be set aside and not submitted to him. Why? Because we've heard Jesus and we've been taught by him and we've been renewed in the spirit of our mind. The Holy Ghost has done a work of renovating down in the inward man, the soul of man. God has wrought a change just as much as the change from the 13th day now 
before the Passover. They're in Egypt and they're in bondage to Egypt and they're subject to the uh, Pharaoh and they're subject to his laws and they're under the taskmasters to this 15th day of the month when they're delivered from Egypt, when God brings them out with a high hand and they're set free. What a difference in the situation of the Jews. They're not in the brick-making uh, business anymore. They've been set free from Pharaoh by the operation of God. So should they not purge out the leaven of Egypt and be a different and a sanctified and a set-apart people? We'll flip that to the New Testament. <clears throat> How much greater our deliverance is from Satan and from his kingdom. And if you remember, we covered all of that as we looked at the Passover. How much greater the deliverance is today for them that are saved and born again. How can them that God has brought out from the control of the devil go back and walk like the Gentiles walk? Who's ignorant? and blinded by the devil. Them that are saved, they're not ignorant any longer, and they're not blinded any longer, but God has set them free through the work of the Holy Spirit, and they ought to put off the old man and walk in newness of life by the renovation of the Spirit in their heart. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, and true holiness. God has brought a new creature out in the inward man. And God says, now, now there are two of us. In them that are saved, there is an outward man with a carnal mind and with carnal desires that is enmity, at enmity with God by the word of God. There is a new man on the inside which was born by the operation of God and by the power of the Spirit and his desires to please God. And these two are at odds with one another continually. God says, lay off the old man and his desires and walk by the direction of the new man that I've put within you. So, this is what he says. Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. And we could go on right here, looking at this scripture. But the picture is, mortifying the outward man and his will, not allowing the outward man to have his way, but walking in the newness of life in the inward man. And I say with certainty that there's no way for somebody to be saved and to continue to walk under the direction of a blinded heart and a blinded mind. Verse, uh, Romans 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can somebody that's been delivered from Pharaoh and brought out, 
How can they worship and serve Pharaoh? How can somebody that's been delivered from the kingdom of Satan and set free from his rule and reign of terror and sin in our life, how can they continually serve him in sin and in rebellion against God? God forbids it. How can they that God has in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, those that are in Christ are a new creature. How can those new creatures in Christ Jesus, who are enlightened by the truth of the Word of God, indwelled by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, led those that are the sons of God, they're led by the Spirit of God. How can those led of the Spirit, having a new inward man, that by 1 John chapter 5, greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world, how can they continue to live in sin? Now, God says, purge out the old leaven. And this was for seven days. And they could go back to eating bread. It was a picture. It was a type. And it was a shadow of what Christ was going to do. But daily, we're to purge out the old man. Set him aside. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's all word pictures of the old man's desires and will and way being set aside that the operation and will of God could be done in our life. Not to benefit God any, but to benefit those round about us. Those in the world that still have a blinded mind by Satan that we could benefit them by the power of the Spirit, by the life in this world, and glorify God before them that are lost and undone. So purge out the old leaven. Back in Exodus chapter 12, and let's, let's look at these times as well. So remember when we looked at the Lord Jesus being crucified, they called that the day of preparation of the Passover. That was the 14th. That was the day that leaven was to be purged out of the house. And seven days of this feast, the first day, that would be the 15th. That was to be in holy convocation. And if you remember when we talked about the Lord Jesus, he was being crucified. They called the next day the Sabbath or the High Sabbath. It was a high day. So that High Sabbath could have very well been this holy convocation. And the last day as well was a holy convocation where no work was to be done save that which man ate. Now, you know, we've got uh, things here that's hard for man to eat a lot of times because many get hung up on works having a part with salvation. Now this sanctification of the life, there are works that are done here. Paul says, putting aside line, him that steals, steal no more. Our life ought not be lived like the Gentiles live. It ought to be different. But that is not for salvation. The first day and the last day is a day of no works. This is a work of God for the salvation of the soul. But this is a, 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 a direction to our life that when they look on us as a world, they shouldn't look on the church and see a bunch of people that are living 
like the rest of the Gentiles in the world, but those that have been operated on by God in their heart and are saved and are enlightened. They ought to have a life that's separated from the world and a life that's sanctified, that's cut off from the old man and the leaven purged away. So ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. When does this start? Starts the day that we're delivered. This warfare begins in the life of them that are saved the day that they're delivered from Satan. So he says, this is Galatians chapter 5, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we've got two again. The inward man that is saved, that is a new creature. <clears throat> the outward man that is still sinful and rebellious towards God. Walk in the Spirit that you wouldn't fulfill the lust of that old man. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, lie opposite of one another, at odds or adverse, so that ye cannot do the things that you would, that you would prefer. So what my flesh prefers to do, that's sin and rebellion against God, the Spirit opposes that. But on the flip side, what the inward man and what God would desire me to do, the flesh opposes that. So that if I'm going to do the will of the flesh, the inward man's against it. If I'm going to do the will of God, the outward man's against it. And they're continually warring one with another. But now as enlightened, saved children of God, we know the flesh is contrary to God. The inward man, the word of God, that's the will of God. We ought to labor and strive to lay off the outward man and his will that the will of God might be done, that the God that saved us might be exalted, that we could be beneficial to them that set in darkness. Paul said, and Paul spoke of this warfare, and Paul, I believe, by the word of God that we've got provided, a great man of God, that God had wrought a wondrous work in. But Paul said, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. There is always warfare. So what should we do? God help us to purge out the leaven of the old man. Be a sanctified vessel and walk to the glory of the God that delivered us from sin. We've been a little bit shorter than we typically are and I apologize for that but I hope this has been a help to you. God not only saves the soul, but the life as well. God delivers us from darkness within, and that's reflected in our natural life. We hope the Word of God's been a help to you. Hope the Lord richly blesses you. We love you. Pray for us.